But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, you, well, both of you have flown airplane, complex airplanes, airplanes with retractable landing gear. How mm-hmm. often does the gear not go up? On me, it's happened um, twice. Twice. And did it completely not go up, or did it go up part way? Which I strikes me as being the real squirrely kind of problem. I don't know is the quick answer. Um, in both instances, I had an unsafe gear indication. Ah, uh, okay. And so, and so and you since just I couldn't it back see the gear, and, yeah. yeah. Since I couldn't see the gear, um, I don't know its precise um, mm-hmm. uh, extension retraction status. The airplane felt as if it was partially retracted on both occasions. Mm-hmm. Okay, David, do you ever have a, a instance where the gear didn't retract? Once going up, once coming down. Well, yeah, you're 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 somewhat legendary for your coming down, your landing issue, but that was a no. That that was that. It that one was just failure to put down the one where I through the uh, switch and it, about a third of the way into extension, uh-huh. the breaker popped, uh, which turned out to be the same problem that caused uh, the gear going up to be a problem about a week earlier. Okay. Funny how that comes around. Yeah, really. But in both cases, in, in all of your cases, you eventually got the gear into a safe situation so that you could uh, land, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Well, you guys are not alone. Um, let's no, see. We're it's, not. Uh, is it Virgin Airlines? I think Virgin Atlantic. Virgin Atlantic Airlines, a seven four seven, had a. Uh, how? When is it, Jeb? You put this on the list. Is this? This is today. today? This, was, this was this morning. This morning, really. This okay. morning, yeah. Coming out of uh, Heathrow uh, for I, I think I, I heard Las Vegas. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Um, um, the uh, outermost right side main landing gear bogey. Failed to retract. Uh huh. Okay. Oops. Oops. Yeah. And, and they had to go back to Gatwick. Yeah. I ended up at Gatwick after circling out over the Atlantic and dumping fuel, I'm sure, which I'm sure made a lot of people very happy. Now, wait, when you say it failed to retract, but yeah. it, it partially retracted, failed to fully retract. Failed to that? fully retract and then wouldn't yeah. come down, apparently. Yeah, it got stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a picture. Yeah. Uh, that I, I um, uh, sent to you folks, put on the list. I'm and, looking at it. It says, shot yeah, from the ground from looking uh-huh. at the underbelly of this aircraft. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and very it, nicely detailed photograph. Yeah, too. really, I know, huh? And yeah. so it's got, uh, so of the four, what do you call them, trucks, bogies? Bogies. Bogies, uh, the, the four sets of wheels uh, under this 4.7, uh, the rear pair uh, appear to be in good condition yeah, you know, yeah, in, yeah in the right position i should say though as you said the one on the left side of the aircraft appears to be in in good position but the port, one on, port side thank you very much and the one on the stabbed side the one on the stabbed the one on the stabbed side, um, side is 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 partially retracted so the, it's the door hasn't closed and the gears kind of the one of the wheels is, is partly sticking out and uh, it almost looks like it got a gear door wheel truck wedgie yeah, well, you know, that may be, yeah, that's that's the new technical technical term for this. And then, Jeb, you pointed us to a video, mm-hmm. a, uh, a YouTube video uh, of the uh, of this aircraft uh, actually landing with with this this bogey not not extended. So it's landing mm, yep. on three of its four main gear assemblies. Uh-huh. And uh, 
that looked a little exciting. That yeah, that was. I think I would wanted to have touched down a bit more gently. They did. They did. They did plant it a little bit firmly, didn't they? It, they bounced uh, it. They bounced it. They bounced it. Um, and uh, and then when it, and so when it finally got got sort of you know established on the ground, um, they rolled out a little bit and then stopped right on the runway, which I think is advisable. Um, and it, it, the poor airplane looked kind of sad because it was definitely canted over to one side. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, because it had basically two two main gear sets on one side and only one on the other side, and it was noticeably but, leaning to one side. It was. It was noticeably leaning, and it's uh, interesting that they locked up a couple of the trucks on the port side. Yeah, it looks like uh, they did. Oh, I didn't notice that. Did they? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah is, about a minute 20 in, you see yeah. smoke coming off the tires. Uh, and, uh, you know, you think about the uh, amount of weight distributed over all those wheels that uh, the – they didn't put that in there because they wanted to sell extra parts. They needed that puppy to carry to distribute mm-hmm. the weight. You know, there's in, a reason. There's a reason all that all that landing gear is there. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure the the handbook doesn't have a procedure. Or I'm sure when, when, we, when they went out to dump fuel, I'm sure that the handbook doesn't have a value in there. Minimum minimum fuel weight or maximum landing weight with only three main landing gear yeah, buggies sure. extended. Yeah. You know? yeah, really. um, so I'm uh, I I didn't see this earlier, Jeb, but now I'm looking at the video and it's now calling out a, a part two of this video. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah. That. I don't know about the part two. And it appears um, just to be a continuation of the activities on the runway. There's yeah, all there's emergency emergency vehicles and uh, yeah, there's there's other videos of it um there's another video of the same time uh, space but um from a different slightly different angle from a quartering um, uh, port side uh view um but this was dead on almost directly down the center line of the runway um okay. and there's other there's other videos of it being towed to the hangar whatever it almost looks like it cl- well. What? It's kind of the, the perspective's weird. The airplane is really low to the ground. It, it almost looks like something collapsed here. Did I watch the first one all the way to the end here? Now I've got to go back and watch the first one all the way to the end here. Let's see what happens. Well, f- from what I can tell, um, no other part of the airplane ever touched the ground. Yeah. yeah um, thank you the, right the, the inboard, the starboard inboard engine to sell. Apparently did not touch the ground. The starboard inboard flap trailing edge never touched the ground, never touched the runway. Um, except for that gear problem, looks like they can use the airplane again. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, well, what I had a chance to see, it looks like nothing bad, nothing that wasn't supposed to touch the ground touched the yeah. ground. So that's good. I was one. I was curious whether they were going to evac the uh, passengers. Um, well, I kind of thought they. You know, I, I might see that, might see the, a slide pop out or something in this video. Um, but one of the vehicles pulling up at the end, of course, is a, is a, is a ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I should say air stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, you know, if they deplane the passengers on the runway or tow the airplane to the ramp and then deplane them there. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's um, interesting seeing that pull up elevator applied back there. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Although it didn't seem to be symmetrical, David. You're, so you're looking at that part of the uh, video just as they were touching down. It almost looked like there was more... At, after they touched down, it looks like the uh, the flight crew 
tries to keep the nose as light as possible, which mm-hmm. kind of intrigues me. Right. Uh, but it looked to me like um, the the whole width of the horizontal, you know, uh, elevator control surface was not up on the on on the stabbed side of the aircraft. Um, but uh, maybe it was just an optical illusion. I think it's uh, probably an optical illusion, but. They uh, they can move separately, but they don't generally do that. They yeah. just they're, they're such big surfaces. They each have their own drive mechanism. Yeah, no, that's probably was something like that. So, anyways, well, that was an interesting little thing there. But uh, so everybody yeah. everybody has gear problems, I guess you know. And, yeah, you know. Well, remember wasn't it uh, Comanche girl that had a problem with her gear going up and wound up mm-hmm. being a wedgie. And once mm-hmm. she got it up, she couldn't get it back down. I know, and, uh, yeah. folks. He's really, really talking aircraft terms here. I, I promise you. This is, um, didn't she write about that for your magazine, Jeb? She did. Yeah, she yeah. Did. She wrote about yeah. that whole process of. She, uh, she had a she had a subsequent issue also uh, mm-hmm. with that airplane, um, where some component in the left main gear broke um, and allowed the wheel itself to pivot around this oleo strut so basically the wheel kind of turned 45 to 90 degrees against the direction of the airplane and did a little bit of a a ground loop uh but again no damage Mm -hmm. no injuries uh using the airplane again yeah well you know so i mean i just you know i mean this just reinforces the what i've believed all along which is you know why do you why do you mess with your gear like this just leave them hanging out there and go flying yeah, because um, well, yeah, some of us are in more of a hurry than others. Is that what it is? Well, okay, Jeb, you were, you were, you were. Jeb was speechless. By the way, did you hear that? Did everybody hear that? Jeb was. <laughs> um, even even Waldo Pepper with a fixed gear airplane lost part of his gear. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. And so, uh, and it's part of the happen- flying farmer thing, and uh, you know, yeah. so right it can happen to anybody. Anyways, hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Jack Hodgson uh, here, uh, uh, ruminating on the possibility of losing my landing gear, and easy uh, for you to say. Talking to uh, uh, a couple of my good friends. I'm up here in in uh, it's uh, it's it's just past Christmas and starting to get really cold. Uh, Papa Papa, uh, Epping, New Hampshire, and uh, just kind of, I'm I'm actually within two weeks of of heading south, which is I'm just I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about that possibility, but uh, uh, for the now. Here we are. Here I am up here in, in Papa Papa, talking to two of my very very good friends here uh, out on the uh, in the cloud on, on the internets. Uh, one of those voices you're hearing out there is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm doing all right. Uh, weathered the holidays okay. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping to um, wake up New Year's Day without a hangover. And uh, why? Just, why? Why? Well, because I've had too many hangovers lately. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want another one. Thank right, you well, very much. Sort of. Um, sort of if, identify if you, with that. If you ask me, if you know, in all honesty, and you know, don't tell anybody. No, no. Shh. Shh. Mum's the word. They're they're a pain in the brain. Yeah. Yep. 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 And so, uh, um, doing fine. Cool. Thank you for asking. Cool. You got any particular plans for New Year's? Or you, uh... No, I don't actually. I, I need to make some because it's starting to get close. But uh, other than not driving and uh, not drinking to excess, no, I don't have any plans. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna celebrate. I'm gonna celebrate I, Reykjavik. 
uh, New Year's and then go to bed. Uh, yeah, that's not a bad plan. I might celebrate, you know, like London or something. There you go. go. Well, you got the idea. Yeah, there you but, go. Um, um, yeah, it's it's just amateur hour so so much. I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, speaking of big hangovers, uh, my other good friend here is. I don't know. If that makes any sense at all? I don't know. Seg segue did he go, George? Yeah, segue did he go? My other good friend here in the uh, virtual hangar is uh, talking to us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Hi, David. Good evening. I should point out to everybody that you are are in the midst of an equipment uh, malfunction right now. Your your audio quality is not quite what it, we're used to, um, and you're you're actually talking to us today with some alternative gear. And so, if if you sound a little raspy, that's why. So, uh, it, you know, funny thing is, it sounds exactly the same from where I sit. I know, right? So, uh, but we're going to try and get this fixed in the next couple of weeks. But uh, how you doing, David? What's going on out there? Well, we had a had a lovely visit with family out in Indiana over Christmas. Uh, New Year's is a couple of days away. Uh, we're preparing for that another year older kind of thing. Every every New Year's rolls around. So, uh, like a New Year's baby or something like that, right? Uh, damn, damn near it, yeah. Uh, missed it by 15 minutes. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. But uh, we're enjoying would it would uh, pass as typical winter weather for this part of the world uh maybe even a little cooler but airplane engines like cold air makes them make yeah. them happy yeah makes it's them smooth shed. you know yeah although i i understand the faa is going to do away with turbulence but that's a whole other story yeah. uh, <laughs> see you red message. yeah so i don't know if we're going to talk about that we, we'll get to that what maybe we will we get do, to that what but, would we do without that i know right um so one of the things that's going on um as as people have kind of gotten the idea um it's we're in the midst of christmas holiday new year's week here um and uh, the uh, the science channel on on the television on cable is running a uh, a mythbusters marathon right now um they are running every single mythbusters episode it's intense i'll tell you and, and i thought that was just a myth oh man they started back on wednesday before christmas and it's now monday after christmas and they're you know a bit over halfway through and so and both of my brother you know the family was down for the holiday and so both of my brothers and i are, are mythbusters fans so we just had it on in the background all all christmas you know weekend long weekend and we just go and sit in on an episode every now and then and uh, it's been kind of fun one of the things that caught my attention was an episode where they were doing some skydiving and the skydiving airplane so they were they were doing some interviews on the ramp prior to doing the actual you know getting on the airplane and, and taking off to do their jumps and they did some of these interviews in front of an airplane that was clearly a turboprop. And I thought, well, that's not the jump plane. And then somebody else was in front of more like a 172-ish kind of, 182-ish kind of airplane. I thought, well, that must be the jump plane. And it turns out that the uh, the turboprop really was the jump plane. And it's an interesting aircraft. I'd never seen I did some digging on the Internet and found this is the actual airplane. I sent you guys a link to it here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, November 750 Delta Zulu um, is apparently a, a Pacific Aerospace 750XL. And uh, I just thought it was an interesting-looking airplane. Um, it's Australian-manufactured. Is that what it is? Okay. It, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it's FIA certified. The thing that makes um, it distinctive, just so I can give people a picture here, yeah. is that it's a turboprop. Um, right. But it's not kind of the normal sleek, really, you know, kind of... It almost looks like it might be an aluminum airplane. Plane. Um, it looks very... Um, very. What airplane does it look like? U utilitarian? It's very utilitarian-looking. It's not the kind of sleek lines that you associate with a turboprop, or at least I associate with a turboprop. But it bears some resemblance to a Colada Species 12. 
It does add a little uh, bit. And, and when I first saw that it's nose only, I thought that. But when you get from the side, it's clearly not. Um, it's got. Oh yeah, the tail's a lot different. The the wings completely different. Yeah, you know, this it, is clearly an airplane made for getting in and out of short places, and that's uh, what Pacific okay. Aerospace did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice big is, fat constant cord wing. Yeah, it's basically a bush airplane. Okay. Yeah. I guess. And sure. the key to the kingdom for a drop zone is how many you can get up. And get and how fast you can get back down to get the next group up. Right, right. Yeah. Do do turboprops not have like shock cooling problems? They they do not. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's okay. I see. And I'm beginning course, to in, see the virtue of this. Yeah. yeah. The in number on this, of course, is seven five zero Delta Zulu. Delta Zulu standing for dun dun dun, dun drop zone. So, oh, okay. I didn't make that connection. All right, yes. that's good. Yeah. And the seven fifty being the model number. Yeah. Dun dun dun. dun. Yeah. There you go. So. Uh, yeah, uh, Tori and uh, Tori and uh, and Grant uh, both did tandem jumps out of this airplane as part of. What was the myth they were trying? The to myth was <laughs> straight. I'm sorry, folks. I tried to keep it on airplanes. The myth had to do with a skydiver whose shoots completely failed, who managed to land on one half of a playground seesaw, such that the seesaw broke his fall and he survived. And the little girl, I'm sorry, I can't even believe I'm describing this. The little girl who was sitting on the other side of the seesaw was catapulted seven stories into the sky where she managed to land on the roof of a seven-story building uninjured. All right. Blowing snow. Yeah, that was basically my, when I heard them describe this on the show, I'm going, no way, no way, no way. And so the myth, they, they did skydiving because they wanted to measure what would be the terminal velocity of a skydiver. Um, it's about 160 miles an hour. They concluded that um, if one tried hard, you could create enough drag to get down to 122. That's what they were shooting mm-hmm. for on yeah. this myth. I was going to say, in the stable spread that they teach, they always told us about 120 to 125 was where mm-hmm. you'd stabilize, Yeah, depending in part on the size of your chassis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and lest anyone t- try and get this back to something it rel- <laughs> vaguely aviation-related, um, uh, lest anyone try and use this as a way of breaking their fall, um, the, the conclusion was that, that falling onto a, uh, onto a half of a seesaw from this height will just plain savage the seesaw. I mean, there's nothing good that comes out of any of this. Um, no, one, no one came out of it well. Well, I, I defy you to try to hit the seesaw in free fall. There's that, too. You know, they yeah. couldn't manage. They had a hard time hitting the, hitting this, hitting the, uh, the uh, seesaw when they were aiming it from a, a relatively low which, drop. Which side did they aim for, the sea side or the saw side? Okay. So I think it's a cool airplane. I'd love to see one of these, and it's got a really dramatic paint job. Well, you can see them at Oshkosh. You might even see one at, at Sun and Fun. Really? Yeah. See one. yeah. Absolutely. Maybe not that fancy a paint job. Yeah. I'm gonna look, the... I don't recall that I've ever seen this. this oh, yeah. I've seen it. Oh, yeah. And it has this really yeah. notable. The thing I reason I think I would have remembered or noticed it is because paint it has job. a very distinctive um, air intake up, up just oh, below okay. the spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, the paint job, obviously, I, I don't think I've seen this one, but uh, yeah. I don't, who knows whether this is a custom paint job or, or part of the model. Well, and the, uh, the people that sell the airplane even got a plug in on this because there's a, a URL on the fuselage uh-huh. that will lead you right to the people that sell the airplane. And then there's all the adornments for the jump zone, the drop zone, Skydance, Skydiving, diving, Davis, mm-hmm. California. Davis, California, yeah. So, Man, it's set up for it with the uh, handrails and the footrails uh, on the outside of the jump door. 
uh, and it looks like it might have a door that slides down and closes yeah. if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. The, the the door that you actually exit the aircraft on is like this, like you say, David. It's a slide. It slides up and down in tracks, and uh, um, yeah, it's a biggie. You could yeah. get about four people out in one big move. Yeah. And you've got you've got a step under slinging the the fuselage there, and you've got a a grab bar uh, above the door. So you could put, you know, maybe six people hanging on that thing before they all let go. I wouldn't want to talk to you about the um, aft-oriented CG during such a maneuver, but apparently, you know, they've done this before. I guess so. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of they got a lot of control authority over the puppies. So. I, yeah, and it's it's always been my experience. My, it's always been my observation that anybody involved with skydiving live their lives by a different standard than I do. I just, yeah, uh, the, the, what must happen to an airplane's, you know, wait, uh, like you say, CG when everybody exits? I don't know. Anyways, that's well, a cool CG. Yeah. It generally doesn't change much because so many people go at one time, but, but the airplane the, definitely balloons up. It's yeah. the going part that that, right? I guess so. Huh? So, cool well, you airplane. know, you know, all these airplanes on you know during D Day and other you know airborne assaults uh, got away with it. Yeah, I don't know if you're seeing the same header on the pic on this pic page. Is that another one of these as well? What? Yeah, I bet it is because it's an end number uh, up on the top of this airport. We're, we're looking at the airplane on uh, on a site called airport datacom yeah, the 750XL image. XL, that's the same model, right? That's the same yeah. airplane. That is the model that, name. That's the model. Yeah, 750XL okay. is the model. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And, and it's a model of utility flying. Yeah. A couple episodes ago, uh, we uh, got to talking about uh, ETOPS aircraft, uh, air, uh, two-engine aircraft that are uh, are uh, particularly, uh, I don't know what the right is, word is, certificated or whatever, to fly mm, long approved. distances across the water. And uh, and and we were kind of messing around with what ETOPS stood for, and I don't know if we came up with the right thing or not. Well, I was waiting <laughs> for someone to use the phrase that our reader supplied, and yes. and got distracted, and no one ever did it. We moved on to something. And you let else. it go. And well, see, I let it go. He who you know, hesitates. But, but well, I'm glad you know Listener, we have readers who are interested in correcting the record. Listener Ruckin checked in uh, by email, uh, and there was another R- listener. Ruckin, is that what you said? I said listener. Listener okay. Ruckin. Listener. Listener Ruckin. Uh, A.K.A. Stewart uh, checked in by email, and uh, another listener or two checked in on the forums, um, all, all repeating the same thing. So you really blew it, Jeb. Um, they said ETOP stands for engines turn or people swim, which I thought that was kind of or passengers swim. Well, it says, the, it says people in in Ruckin's uh, in Ruckin's uh, email, but uh, yeah, yeah. They say the crew gets no exemption from the swimming part, and and he observes that uh, that. He, he, I don't know if to say observes, he speculates maybe is a better term, although he claims he works in the industry, um, that, that one of the reasons why ETOPS times are being driven longer and longer is because uh, airlines don't want to operate these four-engine airplanes because they're just not cost-effective or as cost-effective or cost-effective in the proper way or whatever. Um, and, and Ruckin observes, he said, he said 747s and 380s as being two four-engine airliners that are still being made. And that got me to thinking, how many are, that may be it. What other, what other four-engine airliners exist in the U.S. airlines fleet? There's a trick. Exist or is in production? Uh, no, are still in use for, still for, in for, use. for scheduled airliner use. Scheduled, scheduled passenger-carrying airlines. Yeah. 
The only other one that would not be on this list is the A340, but I don't think too many U.S. airlines are operating either the 340 or the 380. The 340 is four engines. Okay. I didn't, I'm not familiar yeah. with the 340. 330's a twin. The 340's four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the, the fleets for, for fuel efficiency and fuel economy reasons have really gone to, to twin engine airplanes. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and there are no triples quite interesting. In, in the, in the you know, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, we, you know, we had seven twos, we had DC 10s, we had L 10 11s. Um, even you know the British Trident um, were th- all right. three engine airplanes, um, but you just don't see any of those anymore. In part because engine technology has gotten so much better, um, um, metallurgy has gotten so much better. Um, they're more efficient. They can put out more power now. I mean, <clears throat> you know, one of the engines on a on a seven forty seven four hundred. I'm just guessing probably has more thrust than all four engines of an early 707. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and it amazes people if you if you take one of those big, hot, bypass ratio turbofans out of the nacelle, put it on a stand, and then you take that great big fan off the front, it's mm-hmm. a really small piece of mm-hmm. machinery, right. relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Jeb was talking about fuel efficiency. The thrust to weight ratios have just continued to to creep up. The specific fuel consumption numbers have continued to creep down. And where the lines cross, you get airplanes like the seven eighty seven, the triple seven, and the A three thirty that can carry you know three hundred people. For a lot less fuel than a 7.4 or an A380 or uh, A340, that is a lot less per seat mile. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what counts in the airline business. What is costing you per seat mile versus what you can charge? And there, the difference is your yield. And you need all that yield you can get. You know, there are still people who, you know, passengers who will not fly on anything other than a four engine airplane. They they don't have an awful lot of places well, they can go. You know, then, it, do they? But there's a, there's a reason for that, you know. Yeah. The reason is there are no five engine airplanes. <laughs> yeah, right. Because. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I. Uh, <clears throat> it's. I don't know. Well, it was engine crazy. Turn. Thirty yeah, odd years turn. ago, when ETOPS first came along, a lot of people were. You know, just totally freaked out, and, and and there were dire predictions about it. And I think that was when we were looking at 120 minutes. Right, right. Maybe not even that. Maybe only 90. Uh, 90 was was early when it kind of got mm-hmm. them onto. Well, if it's good for 90, it's probably good for 120. Yeah. From 120, yeah. we went to 180. Uh, now we're up into 300, 330, five and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of five and a half hours from a suitable alternate in the event one engine fails. And you know, the flip side of all this is I'm not aware of any twin engine airplane losing an engine and then having to ditch. Okay. Yeah. Not not I'm for not, reasons that have to do with engine reliability. I'm not aware of any of them having, you know, having to, you know, perform a ditch ditching, excuse me, after 
um, 50% of their power plants failed. Right. I'm just not aware of that having happened, period. Well, that, and that argues that the top standards are, are adequate. Are, are, are working. Yeah. Airlines are required to keep extra equipment and go through right. extra training for the crew yeah, to extra do these ETOPS yeah, flights. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Um, a, st- a tragic story that's just still developing um, over the last 24 hours. Um, and we don't know very much at all about this, but we'll just kind of mention it real quickly. Um, uh, an Air Asia flight, um, a, a, a Airbus A320 apparently, uh, traveling either to or from Singapore. I apologize for not knowing here. <laughs> to Singapore. Well, traveling from, to Singapore. To Singapore. Yeah. Um, disappeared from radar um, while traveling over the uh, Java Sea and uh, and is presumed to have gone down in the ocean, um, and they haven't found it yet. Um, shades of uh, Malaysia uh, air for air flight, uh, aircraft, but, but that's about the only similarities. It's pretty clear that this was a... Um, well, I don't. I shouldn't say that. We don't know what it is just yet. We don't. We don't know what it is. Um, the airplane is missing. Um, they've been searching for it for about been twenty-four searched, hours. They've now. Had, yeah. yeah, they've had about thirty-six hours actually to search for it. That long. Um, okay, yep. But it's a lot of that time, a lot of that thirty-six hours has been at night. Um, it's just now coming up uh, early uh, Tuesday morning on that part of the world. And, you know, knock wood, we'll have some, some better information here by close of business tomorrow yeah. or by, by maybe, you know, noon tomorrow or something. But uh, um, it's a real head-scratcher it, well, uh, for, I don't for a know. couple of reasons. You think it's a head-scratcher? I, okay, why do you think it's a head-scratcher? Because what little information we've gotten, and now folks, we're just totally speculating. Don't pay much attention to this. But yeah. why do you think it's a head-scratcher? Because I don't think it's very much of a head-scratcher at all. What do you think? It's a head-scratcher to me because... They pretty much know where it was when it lost radio and radar contact. Um, The um, area where it it went down is the Java Sea, which is a fairly busy piece of water. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's fishing activities. There's shipping. It's an incredibly densely populated area on both, you know, all extremes of the Java Sea. So there's a lot of boat traffic. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of people paying attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while there have been, you know, unconfirmed reports that fishermen heard um, an explosion or, or a crash into the water or something like that, um, none of those reports have been confirmed. There, again, have been no... Um, no sightings of any w- – with all that going on, there's not been a trace of this airplane found yet. Right, right. And if, should... if, it, if it hit the water intact, um, there should be something uh, – um, some trace of it. If it uh, disintegrated or came apart at altitude – more parts of it should be available to to right. find right. and, and uh, spread out over a greater area but um it's it's a little disconcerting uh there's a lot of deja vu going on that all of a sudden we're doing this again yeah we i know there, that there's, is a, weird. there's a commercial airliner we can't find I know. really yeah i know that's that is, that that part is a head scratcher i don't disagree yeah, that that um, part's what well, I'm okay, talking. i should fill in some of the Again, this is kind of sketchy information, but according to the news stories we've been reading, some of the things that maybe happened in in the sequence of events here was that this aircraft was on course, um, Mm -hmm. headed for its destination out over the water. Um, It was encountering some weather of some sort, 
and it requested a higher altitude to get um, a better ride or, or better circumstances. Um, um, ATC was unable to give it higher uh, immediately because, according to this news stories, because there were other aircraft ab above this this particular aircraft. Right, right. And so um, they 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 couldn't approve higher right away, um, and. And that leads to a whole, you know, mainstream media. The, the one of the headlines. You know, is screw were, screw yeah, the mainstream media. They were denied the the different right. altitude. I saw right? that. You it's, know, they they weren't denied. All right, it probably well, they, gotten, they were denied. But yeah, there's a good reason. Momentarily, they were denied. you know, yeah. if ATC over there is anything like ATC here, they would have eventually gotten their altitude. Yeah, all right, exactly. But exactly. things were apparently. One can speculate that things were happening quickly out there, and before they were able to get their new altitude, um, something happened. Two two, two things. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, they requested a higher altitude. Now, uh, they were cruising at flight level 320. They're about an hour from takeoff uh, into a two-hour flight, so they're about halfway to the destination. Um, cruising at flight level 320, approaching an area of weather, um, requested a higher altitude and a deviation to the left for weather. They got the deviation, mm -hmm. so they were able to turn the airplane. Um, but they did not get their requested altitude of 380 initially, but subsequently they were cleared, I think, to 360. No, I hadn't and that part. in okay. the last, the last um, ADSB or, or um, mode S, mode C ping on the aircraft showed it, I think, at, at flight level um, either 363 or 336 or something it showed it higher than the, the 320 it was cruising at previously mm -hmm. yeah the last ping they had was at 30 36,000 oh, okay. yeah 363 i think was the last ping. i hadn't even the, heard the, that they the, had gotten that intermediate yeah. climb okay the trick here also is that that same last ping that showed them at 363 showed their ground speed down around 350 knots which um, is very slow. Uh, is is let me put it another way. Is abnormally slow, um, equating to maybe two hundred some odd knots calibrated indicated airspeed mm -hmm. uh, for altitude and and given the winds and all this kind of stuff. That's indicative of something um, abnormal. Okay, yeah. I won't say yeah. askew or unsafe or or oh my god or anything like that. It's it would not be a normal airspeed or ground speed for that airplane at that altitude, um, at given what it was doing. Now either you know you can speculate either it was already on its way down, either it was in a hellacious updraft, um, and the crew would pull the power back. Um, don't know. Yeah. But uh, my speculation would be that when the smoke clears on this, um, it will be a weather-related um, – weather, weather will be a factor. Yeah. And that's the part that I thought was not a head-scratcher. I, I think no, I agree not. with you on that. So yeah. it's, it's, That part's not a head-scratcher. Um, why they can't find it is a head-scratcher. That part is – although, you know, first of all, it's only been 36 hours. Second of all, the weather's still bad out there. Um, it apparently hasn't yeah. cleared up yet, so it's, it's, it's not this, the easiest This isn't the Indian Ocean. This isn't the South Atlantic. Yeah, no, I know. It's not the right. same. It's not the same. It's not as big an area. It's not as far from land. It's not a lot of things. Like you say, so there's the a lot water's more – The water's significantly shallower. A lot more surface traffic. And yeah, I mean, they, they could – they can almost scuba dive on this wreckage if they find it in yeah, this right. water. Yeah, so it's it's that that shallow. David, wrap it up. Any thoughts? Well, it, it, 
it's kind of unsettling to see one region have so much air tragedy in such a short period of time because Malaysian lost Flight 370 as, as of yet still unaccounted for. Then they had one shot down over disputed area of, uh, uh, of Europe, uh, Eastern Europe along, uh, what was that, uh, anyway, one shot down there and then from the same region, this one disappearing. I think we're going to find out a lot more quickly than we have about MH370. No, I think so too. I think so too. And, and as far as them, uh, the, 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 you know, Discontinuity. Look up discontinuity. It's a physics concept, and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Uh, things in nature do not happen smoothly. They happen in clumps, and that's just yeah, the way nature no, I, works. Yeah, no, I agree. And and um, it's Air Asia actually is you know has its headquarters in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have, that op- they have operating units in other um, um, uh, Southeast Asian countries, um, including you know Singapore, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's it's just an you know it's just an incredible thing to you know watch this thing. not again. I mean, these people got to be feeling got to be feel snake got to feel snake bitten. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, it's and just, uh, more power to them. I know. Yeah. So, but it, and it's something I'm not sure folks here in the Western Hemisphere, particularly North America, completely grok is just how heavily traveled that part of the world is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, an air has revolutionized their ability to do business cross border in a way that maritime could never compete with. Uh, the distances are big. There's so many islands so far away from so many things. And, uh, the airlines have filled in the gap and, and air Asia is kind of, uh, along the lines of a Southwest. It's a discount, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a discount carrier, very popular with the, with the folks there. Who like going to Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, on holiday, uh, get a lot of Australian tourists on those routes too. Yeah. 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 I'll make, I'll make, I'll go out on a, on a limb and yeah. I'll make a prediction. Okay. This will resemble Air France 447 more than it will. Um, uh, Malaysian Air 37. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you should say that. I was resisting the impulse to comment that they're both Airbus aircraft, but uh, I don't know if that's... Both, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, both anyways, are... that's an interesting obs- uh, a prediction, Jeb. I, I, I think you could be right. Uh, certainly in the, the general circumstances, I think are going to turn out to be very similar. And uh, yeah. Welcome back to Public Television's Masterpiece Pilotage. And now, iambic pentameter for the left seat. The gentlemen and ladies whom you hear opine within this airspace uncontrolled. They fawn, they joust, as free men all, espousing no opinions of their lords or masters under whose employ they work. They speak, at times, as ones who give advice, unsolicited. Do not apply directions from them to your piloting, for generic are their words and thoughts herewith. Mark well this thought. When piloting your plane, consider well your very circumstances. Remember training that you have received, and fly the airplane, although this you knew. Hi, this is Jack. We've said it before, and it bears repeating, that maybe the most pleasant surprise of doing this podcast all these years has been meeting our listeners at fly-ins and just wandering around at airports. 
You talking with us and sharing your aviation experiences has helped us broaden our knowledge and enjoyment of flying. Thank you. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that we also appreciate the financial support we get from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. So thanks for listening, and please make sure you track us down and say hi at the next fly-in. What's next here? Um, I had uh, I had uh, dinner with a, a listener who lives in the neighborhood here um, recently, and uh, we had a very nice time talking about airplanes and, and, and living in southern New Hampshire uh, and a lot of other things. One of the things we talked about, he was telling me how when he was a flight, a, a primary student, um, at the time of his solo, his first solos um, and his cross-country solos, he said the, 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 the flights, the solo flights, the first times he was really on his own, all right, were so sobering to him, so not exactly frightening, but just kind of like real, all right, that it, it scared him and almost caused him to quit his flight training. And, uh, and, and after, and he, he kind of like got over it and continued with his training and, and went on to, to become a, a licensed pilot. Um, but since then, you know, he's always pondered this and has actually, you know, sniffed around and discovered the other people who have had the same kind of experience where, where the, the act of solo, the being other on your own, it's all in your hands, you know, you could die kind of, you know, sphere almost caused them to quit. And he speculates that some people have, in fact, quit at this point in the training. And I'm curious, I guess maybe this is as much a Jeb question as anybody, but um, is, is there any data about this? Do, do, is this a point in the training where people quit? That's a good question. I don't know that there is any data. Uh, I have not seen any recent data on that specific topic. But however, for a very long time, um, the industry has despaired of what is called the student start problem. Um, people who, who get the student pilot certificate, who go through uh, primary training, but who never um, obtain the private pilot certificate. Somewhere between the first lesson and the private pilot check ride, they lose interest or um, other, for other reasons decide not to continue. Um, we've talked about any number of different reasons ranging from, um, air conditioning to, um, pick another number of, of reasons for the, the abysmal student start problem or the student completion problem or whatever you want to phrase it. Um, this is a new one on me, but I can certainly understand it. It, it. it did not affect me. It did not afflict me. Um, and I'm not sure if it's afflicted others. And maybe the two of you have something to say on that topic. Yeah. But it, it's nothing um, that I've that – I'm not aware of any data on this. It may be – you know, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or self-denying prophecy in that you're not going to hear about it from student pilots who decided not to pursue their right, training right. because they're they're too embarrassed to talk about it just as they were too embarrassed to talk about their reasons for quitting in the first place. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I, for myself, I, I didn't have this feeling about solo. I, I actually felt good about solo. I was, I was felt ready and, and I enjoyed solo, um, both the, the local flights and the cross countries. Um, and so that part of it, not, but I, I will say that there are times as a pilot when it, you know, the fact that it's all on my skills is, is very sobering to me, um, is, is very like, you know, wow, am I up to this? Is this, you know, if, if I make a stupid mistake, man, oh man, this is a big deal. And, and that's on my mind from time to time. It's not caused me to quit, I would say, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a thing. David, uh, you have any thoughts on this subject? Well, I've met a couple of people who had second thoughts after they'd finished ground school and actually started training in the airplane. Uh, most of them didn't get as far as solo before they quit. Uh, I remember talking to a guy years ago that had, uh, had had doubts about himself when he soloed. Mm-hmm. And about 50 miles out on his cross country, he became convinced this wasn't for him. And he turned around and came back, and that was it. Mm. Okay. And I asked him what was it about there, about being out there, that had such a profound effect on his thinking about becoming a pilot, because it was something he said that he wanted to do, quote unquote, for years. As you know, that's what we usually hear for folks. I've always wanted to do that, uh, and it was a feeling that he would never get comfortable Mm -hmm. and competent at what he was doing to a point of taking people on a trip somewhere, Mm -hmm. which was kind of the whole point of doing this in his mind. You know, if you're going to do this, you you should have a reason to do it and and you'll use it. And uh, it was just a little overwhelming for him. And it surprised me to find out that what was overwhelming for him was the uh, the density of instrumentation in the panel. Mm-hmm. And this was strictly analog, baby, all steam gauge. Right, yeah. But you get two VORs and an ADF, uh, the needle on an ILS, uh, that stuff all kind of put him uh, back. Yeah. You know, but I've also heard people that have started primary training who get seated in an airplane with, and I'm not going to mention any names, but with one of these highly sophisticated integrated panels Mm -hmm. where you're looking at a computer screen with a completely different arrangement of instruments on it where all this stuff's concentrated basically on the primary flight display. Uh, Attitude compass bearing, airspeed, altitude, rate of change. Uh, they get in front of that, and they're equally overwhelmed mm-hmm. and don't feel like they're really learning to fly the airplane as much as they feel like they're learning how to manage the system. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, and let's come back to that, because we do have a couple stories here on the list about that particular subject. But just well, I haven't heard of anybody saying, oh, that's too much for me and quitting. Uh, generally what I hear is the rent on those airplanes is so high that it makes finishing a private pilot's license yeah. financially burdensome. 
back to the point back to the question of whether solo is 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 so intimidating that it leads people to quit um jeb you and i had a conversation um a couple of years back at air venture with a, a, an industry friend who asked us to, to he wanted to remain anonymous and so i'm going to continue to honor that but I, the he was singing the praises or, or observing about um he had some ideas about changing the order of the right. flight training syllabus do you remember right. the conversation i'm talking I, about i Jim? do remember the conversation and, and he made some very very interesting points about how the the traditional way of doing flight training you know where you initially you know run you know you push to solo and and the, the order in which we tr traditionally do things is the way we've been doing it in flight training forever all right and that maybe that's not the smart way to teach people to fly for a mm -hmm. lot of different reasons. Um, and, and one of them is that it just kind of does these things in an order that can scare some people. Um, yeah, it, it, I remember the conversation vividly. And I, I remember one example uh, discussed was, you know, get in the airplane, get comfortable flying it around, turning, climbing, diving. Let the CFI land it and take it off. The next flight, you maybe go somewhere for lunch. Yeah, that, that and was do, sort of it, it, yeah, and do the same kind of thing where you're you're just you're just going straight and level, and you're just watching the site. You know, you're starting to you know introduce charting and navigation, and and you know maybe talk on the radio a little bit. But right. you know, you're not worried about stalls. You're not worried about landings. You're not worried about crosswinds. Right. And and really kind of get comfortable yeah. with the with the yeah. with the, uh, the lifestyle, if you will, or the well, you know, the, the whole concept of of using the airplane as transportation, the whole concept of being in an airplane to begin with, yeah. the whole concept of what's going on with all these dials and gauges and controls and and, and pedals and stuff. Yeah, has anything ever come of these ideas? I, I think our friend wasn't the only one um, touting these ideas, and I don't know whether it's made any progress though the, the i would guess nothing has happened simply primarily for economic reasons yeah yeah so anyways but um, i think you know i i'm sensitive to that i i understand where um both the um the discussion um you were having with your friend and uh, in this discussion, the two of us had with this other unnamed individual. Um, I'm sympathetic to all that, and I, um, you know, this gets back to the whole "you got to earn your stripes" mentality. The right stuff. The right stuff in this industry that's been around since the days of Lindbergh and before. Yeah. And maybe the where, right stuff doesn't serve us. I mean, the right that no, the right stuff has never really served us. Um, it's fun. It's something we tell stories about. It's something we base podcasts well, on. The people, but, who, yeah. yeah, but it's it's, it's the people it who work their way through it. The people yeah, who, doesn't, who walk yeah, it away. doesn't serve the industry all that well. Yeah, really. Yeah. The other two stories here, Jeb, uh, that David rather was uh, alluding to, or maybe maybe unintentionally alluding to, a few minutes ago, is we've got two stories on the list here um, about the idea that. Um, the high level of automation and the technical sophistication of our airplanes is leading the 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 act of flying um, to be less fun and less safe. And uh, David, you, you you seem to have some strong feelings about this. What 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 do you think about this whole thing? Well, it's never. I, I, it, ever since Cessna announced that they were going to put a Garmin one thousand system in their new offered as at first initially as an option in new 172s and 182s, and eventually I think it became the only panel available in those airplanes. 
uh, and they were doing that because of a long history at Cessna of trying to develop the step up market and identifying those customers that are apt to move up. Well, if you're going to move up out of a 172, 182 into anything with a turbine these days, it's going to have a G1000 or a G1000 like panel in it. Uh, but then we'd ask them about teaching primary students using a syllabus that was built around old steam gauges. Well, we're redoing that and they were and they did. Uh, but it, there's still so much that it seems like the, the hands-on parts of this, they don't really teach the students to program and use the G1000 the way Jeb would use his 530 or my friend would use the G1000 and in his Mustang. Uh, they're teaching them to use the instrumentation there. Mm-hmm. But it is so much it's so less connected to what's actually going on to try to discern from all that saturation. And that's what it seems to me to be. When you put all this stuff on the primary flight display for guys like us coming from years of flying behind six packs, it's not that difficult to make the transition to, okay, this strip is airspeed. This strip is rate of change. This strip is, uh, altitude, uh, and you got the attitude indicator there. That's probably the most obvious thing on there is the transition to the new attitude indicator style. And then your compass heading, and it's all crammed into that display. Where when it was all individualized, it was really easy for our instructor to look at each one of those, explain what they did, why you needed them, and then how they work together. And then as your training progressed, cover up key ones from time to time to give you a simulation of a failure. Uh, it's really hard to cover up just one thing on a primary flight display. Uh, you wind up trying to pull a sensor, pull a breaker on a sensor that feeds that. I'm not sure that they do that, but oh, it seems like I never thought of that. You're right. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? Well, there's, yeah, there's when airspeed is a tape on the edge of the multifunction display. How do you block off airspeed to simulate that failure? You, you use particularly little... if airspeed's coming out of the same box as yeah. everything else, and there's one breaker for that box. Yeah, you, Jeb, you, how do you do a, it? You use a little masking thing that Sporty sells that just sticks self adhesive onto the screen. That portion. Of it, it covers okay. that portion of the screen, okay. just right. as you would cover your AI or your airspeed indicator to uh-huh. simulate such a failure. Yeah, it's, it, you, you use a different type of okay. gear to do this, but the principle is the same. No, okay. I, I guess I hadn't, it didn't even but occur to me. You, you can also pull the breaker and fail, you know, the whole system or, or variations thereon. Yeah. Yeah. Make so, them fly on the backup. Yeah. But it seems like we've disconnected ourselves or our students from learning about the airplane and learning to yeah. fly the airplane. I mean, remember, you know, there are a lot of guys out there flying with private and commercial and ATPs, I'm sure, that started out flying something that had nothing more than a yaw string or mm-hmm. a little hall wind meter, mm-hmm. wind meter on there. Uh, no, no uh, instrumentation whatsoever. And they learned to fly pretty well. well. I got a couple of things to say on this. Part. Yeah, go ahead, Jeb. No, are, are we finished here? I don't know. David, I, I've lost track of where we the, left off with you. What well, you? I, all I was trying to say is I felt like we've just, 
with all the automation and the electronic instrumentation that we not focus as much uh, on the fun of flying and the just actual flying the airplane, getting to know it. Uh, in my mind, starting people off with a six pack so they learn the interrelationship of all these in a way that makes it. Forget six pack. I think everybody shouldn't everybody be required to log like you know what twenty hours in a champ. That's what they should be required. Uh, I, I wouldn't be averse to that. Ten hours would probably be enough. But uh, yeah, getting back to that that basic airplane that uh, yeah you know airspeed indicator, whiskey compass, uh, and a rate of climb indicator. Uh, and, 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 and go out and fly. Yeah, Jeb. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Uh, two things. Um, one, there's a reason Cessna started putting G-1000s in its airplanes. And that is, one, it's probably cheaper in the long run to do so, uh, at least in the, from, the, from a manufacturing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, um, the vast majority of the flight training going on in the world today is ab initio training for people who want to make um, airlines, flying for the airlines, their career. Mm -hmm. And they are going to be flying glass panels in those careers. They may as well start flying a glass panel from the beginning, okay? Except... Okay, well, go ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead. No, go. What's your exception? except as you you know as as we discovered in the uh, you alluded to the Air France crash, all right, and as we we may discover in this Air Asia crash, all right, they they maybe should have learned how to fly a champ a little bit. If for a you while. go back and look at the records of the pilots in the cockpit on the Air France four four seven, they all had some lengthy experience maybe over a decade or so pilot flying was holding that aircraft into a stall he was and but the reason he was doing that is because he did not understand what the instrumentation was telling him not because he wasn't capable of reading the instrumentation he basically droning along fat dumb and happy at 380 and the autopilot clicks off after the pitot tubes ice over, and he's got a cascading series of of ECAM, uh, ICAM messages um, that he doesn't know what to do with. He doesn't understand. Not coincidentally, he's like a junior FO. Okay, and so. uh, the rest of that is history. But so you um, think that these people can be trained in in these complex aircraft? N- not only not only that, but I think a lot of people these days expect that. They'll they look at a at a steam gauge panel, and our whiskey tango foxtrot, dude. I f- was flying f- at Microsoft Flight Simulator, you know, back in the eighties or something, and it doesn't look anything like that. And, and yada yada yada. And why are you putting? You know, I'm a twenty two year old. Why are you putting me in a thirty year old airplane? Um, <laughs> <clears throat> that kind of stuff. You're, yeah. I, I, you know, glass is clearly the future. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I totally get, and I, you know, forget the, you know, the, the, the Jane, you ignorant slut comment. Uh, put, put that aside for a second. I totally get the need for airmanship. I totally get the need f- to understand what the instrumentation is telling me about what the airplane is doing, and knowing maybe beforehand. Before I look at the instrumentation, what the airplane is doing or what it should be doing anyway, I totally get that, support that, uh, embrace that, try to practice that. But um, 
it's sometimes hard to train that into people if they don't have the aptitude or the interest levels uh, required. You, you do we talk about people who don't get past solo or don't uh, continue their training because they have a I'll call it a, 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 conf, a, a crisis of confidence uh, issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real problem. That's that's a significant problem. And our our um, uh, friend with whom we talked about changing the order of what comes first and what comes next in the flight training syllabus, that's one way to try to overcome those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, if you're going to carry passengers, if if you're if you're going to be you know a, a sport pilot or better. Uh, there are some things that you have to do. There are some responsibilities you have to accept. There are some maneuvers and some procedures that you have to be able to perform, many of them without thinking really too hard about it. It's more difficult than flying a car. It's more difficult than uh, um, running a motorboat. It's more difficult than downhill skiing. Um, it's also more rewarding than all of those things. Um, and, uh, there's a reason that it's difficult because, um, it is a highly technical, it is a highly, uh, intellectual, um, endeavor. And if you're not cut out for it, you probably shouldn't be doing it at the same, at yeah, at the same time, um, it just, it doesn't require that much extra and, Is if you can ride a bicycle, if you can drive a, a stick shift car, you can fly an airplane. You have the motor skills to fly an airplane. That part I agree with completely. In, in, end of rant. Yeah, yeah. So, and let's not confuse my feeling that we're disconnecting students from the airplanes because of black panel with uh, what we see as what research is showing to be some skill atrophy from sitting behind the automation for weeks and months at a time mm-hmm. with nothing to do. Yeah, which is a whole nother problem. A whole nother, whole nother conversation. Issue. Yeah, whole nother conversation. Yeah, so we got to move on here. We're uh, allotted time and all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, But that's that's all pretty interesting. And uh, it, it will be interesting, sobering, sad, of course, but uh, to see what happened with this AirAsia thing and, uh, um, you know, see what we can learn from that one. Shoutouts. Shoutouts. What do we got here? I got. I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go first. Go um, so uh, <laughs> Jeb's gonna give me a hard time, but I'm gonna say. Sorry, Yeah, I'm gonna say this anyways. Uh, so uh, we're recording this uh, right after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, 2014. We're coming up in about three weeks' time uh, to the uh, 2015 edition of uh, what we call the Sebring uh, uh, LSA Show, which is actually the uh, Sebring. What's it called? The Sport Aviation Expo uh, in uh, Sebring, Florida. The U.S. Sport Aviation Expo at Sebring, Florida. Um, it's becoming quite the show. Uh, it's uh, It's been around, what, maybe 10 years or so now? I was going to say, isn't this the 10th annual? Yeah, something like that. And it uh, grows a little bit every year. I mean, the economy aside, it kind of dipped a touch as the economy had troubles. But uh, it's been making a comeback and is growing and growing and growing and has kind of broadened its scope this year and uh, is, is going to be a fun uh, uh, excuse to... To, for those of us up north to escape the uh, the winter cold and go down to Florida for a few days, um, 
UCAP will be at uh, at the uh, Sebring Sport Aviation Expo. Uh, we're going to be down there. Uh, I think, Dave, you're not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But Jeb and I will be there at least for a few days, and we're going to do uh, a bunch of uh, sort of like the daily episodes we do during Sun and Fun and, and uh, Air Venture. Shorter episodes, we'll do a handful of them um, about various subjects uh, uh, at the Expo. So we'll have uh, our, our short-form reports, the uh, the dailies, uh, from the, sport, the Sebring Sport Aviation Expo. Um, that'll be, you know, roughly every day of the, uh, of the expo. We're going to do a little impromptu, uh, meetup. If there are any listeners who are going to be in the area and would like to say hi, um, for scheduling reasons, we can't do it on Saturday. The uh, expo runs from like Wednesday through Saturday. And for scheduling reasons, unfortunately, we can't do it on Saturday. Um, but uh, um, we are going to do it on uh, on Thursday uh, afternoon. Uh, let me come back to the specific times in a second, um, but I'll, I'll, you'll understand why Thursday is a, a special day. Another thing that's happening for us at the Sebring Sport Aviation Expo is that I have been, uh, I'm very, very pleased. This is very, very, uh, I'm, I'm gratified. This is a, a bit of an honor um, that I have been asked to moderate a panel, uh, panel discussion uh, at the expo uh, on Thursday afternoon, uh, January fifteenth, during the AV- the expo, um, at uh, did I say one thirty? At one thirty in the afternoon, um, in the Aviators Hotline Show Center tent, uh, there we're going to be doing a panel on uh, on ways to keep aircraft ownership affordable and to boost general aviation activity. Um, and we've got a really real cool uh, group of people who are going to be joining us. Um, currently scheduled to be on this panel, um, uh, a good good buddy of the UCAP, Charlie Becker. Um, the home building community manager at EAA is going to be on the panel. Uh, Tom Bliss, the publisher of AvWeb, will be on the panel. Dan Johnson, the president of the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association and also a UCAP pal, uh, will be there. Phil Lockwood, the president of Lockwood Aviation. Brittany Mikulka, a senior manager at, of a- at AOPA's, uh, the senior manager of AOPA's pilot community development program, and Drew. Help me, guys. I don't know how to... Steckety. Steckety. Drew Steckety, currently the uh, GA News correspondent and the former president of the GA Team 2000 and Be a Pilot program. So basically, you're going to have about half the expo attendees on this panel. Yeah, no. There's going to be a <laughs> lot of people there, man. This is going to be a big deal. We're going to have fun, and we're going to talk about how to uh, talk about flying, and we're going to talk about how to make flying you know, as affordable as possible and, and how to get more people involved. It's going to be a great panel, and I, I would love for people to come on out and uh, and check it out one uh, thirty on uh, Thursday afternoon during during your venture. Check out the show program for specifics on January fifteenth exactly on on where that's going to be. Uh, Beware the Ides of January. That's right. And so that panel goes from about one thirty till three uh, on Thursday, and then um, after the panel, I would imagine that we'll kind of do a little meet and greet after the panel. But then after that concludes at about three thirty is when we're going to do our meetup. And so we'll do the UCAP meetup after the panel um, and. Uh, we'll we'll kind of let people know where we're going to gather. We may just simply gather at you know like out front of this tent or something like that. But watch the uh, the uh, UCAP homepage and the UCAP forums for uh, for that information. So, anyways, that's my that's one uh, that's my first uh, shout out. That's a long one. What do you guys got? Any shout outs? I have one. Well, I don't know how quick it'll be to the um, the National Aeronautic Association. Mm-hmm. 
which is the organization in the United States that that uh, awards uh, aeronautical uh, um, firsts and historical uh, um, um, recognition for various types of achievements in aviation. Each year they give um, uh, the annual Wright Brothers Memorial Trophy um, to uh, a living uh, airman who uh, um, has achieved uh, uh, one thing or another in, uh, in aviation. And the reason I'm naming the National Aeronautic Association um, as as the pers- as the organization of the person who is worthy of recognition is they finally got around to giving the award to Bob Hoover. I know, huh? Finally, I, it was yeah. This has been this is overdue. This, this is long is, overdue. Yeah, it's long overdue. And, and I, I say it out of frustration. No, no, uh, no ill will at anybody. But uh, um, some, this is something that should have happened a long, long time ago. I'm I'm glad they finally got around to doing it. I'm especially gratified they got around to doing it while while Mr. Hoover is still around to enjoy it and receive the award in person. Um, but uh, uh, hats off to them both uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for their achievements, um, and hats off to NAA for uh, the long overdue recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here, absolutely. And being dead kind of disqualifies you. Yeah, well, being that's... dead, being dead does disqualify you. But you know, I'll be the first one with the pitchfork up the hallway saying that they should do something posthumously. Yeah, but but uh, they've but they've but they've managed to they, get in they there pulled and, it off. and, they uh, pulled and it recognize yeah. uh, this this well deserved you know um, pilot. Wow, he's just yeah. he yeah Bob Hoover. Yeah, just, so what can you say? Yeah. Absolutely. And if you don't know, if any of our listeners don't know who Bob Hoover is. Use the Google. Use the Google. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the energy management routine. Yes. Um, I got more than one here, so I'm going to go. I, I, I got another one, but go ahead. All right, well, I'm going to jump in here real quickly. I'm going to kind of combine is, two together. Does Dave have anything? He will, but I'm going to go first. I'm going to go next. Uh, I'm going to do a combination one here. First of all, uh, Slate Magazine. A shout-out to Slate Magazine for uh, their recent... So podcasts are hot these days. I mean, we've been doing them for like, you know, eight years, all right? Suddenly the world has discovered podcasts in the last year, and everyone's excited about podcasts. But the reality is that they're something on the order of 10 years old. And Slate Magazine recognized that they were 10 years old, and they, um, they, they, they recognized that in an article and, in fact, put together their list of the 25 five best podcast episodes ever and they've published it on their website recently and i'm pleased to tell no, no, this is a joke in here someplace we aren't one of them <laughs> so I, I literally i looked at this list saying wouldn't it be cool but we're not is it well, all kind you know, of pop culture kind of podcast and political we, and that kind we, of thing we are you know we are too legit to quit that's right i know huh so uh but uh but you know podcasting's fun and if you're enjoying this podcast you might enjoy some others you might want to take a look at the slate.com uh, uh list of the 25 best podcast episodes ever i've actually listened to a couple of them and enjoyed them so it's it's not a bad list um even though it does have this one glaring omission and uh, <laughs> they'll get it right next well time. you know in a little a friendly respectful email pointing this out to them might not be out of order you know so anyways the other thing i wanted to point out is a shout out to uh, i don't know what us all right so w- the story recently about the uh, landing this european spacecraft on the comet 
Yeah. And and we were so excited about that story that we talked about it in two consecutive episodes. You guys didn't know this, but we did. I wondered about it. We that. did. Okay. We talked about it in 369 where Amy joined us, all right? And and we had a nice conversation about it. And then in 370, which we only recorded two weeks later. I, if it had been like a month later, I might have been able to justify it. But two weeks later, we recorded 370, and we completely spaced. We just plain talked about it all over again. So rather than bore our listeners with two iterations of our conversation about it. I cut it out of 370. So our conversation about landing on the comet isn't in the published episode 370. But if you'd like to hear that uh, that segment, uh, I have posted it in the forums. And you can go to the UCAP forums and uh, and listen to... You know, uh, that's that's the kind of thing we should be charging for. I, <laughs> shh, shh, we're trying to get them used to the idea. All right. So uh, there is a, a little special content there in the UCAP forums. If you go to uncontrolledairspace.com slash forums. I think it's that. Anyways, there's a link on the homepage. Um, and you go into the forums and you will see the, uh, and be able to listen to um, our, our our second time around talking about the uh, landing on the comet. Okay. David, you got a shout out? Yeah. For those old enough to remember and those not old enough to remember, 45 years ago, Christmas Eve, Apollo 8 went into orbit around the moon. Yeah. It's the first time man had ventured that far from Mother Earth. And uh, they did a uh, very moving reading from the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And they took the uh, first Earthrise pictures that we all got uh, excited about seeing back in 1968. Uh, it was uh, quite a remarkable quite a remarkable time with the, uh, you know, Mercury and then Gemini and Apollo finally getting us to the moon. And I thought it was worth remembering those guys who ventured a, a more than a quarter of a million miles from home in the name of humanity, exploration and science and made it back. And I have a particular shout out to uh, the gentleman that I've never met, but uh, long thought highly of, and that's Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell was on Apollo 8, and he was the mission commander of Apollo 13. Mm -hmm. And he may be, I think he is the only human in history to go to the moon twice without getting to touch down and walk there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I've always incredible. felt like uh, Jim kind of got cheated a little bit by history because from 13. We went to 17, uh, the program ended, and we haven't been back since with mm -hmm. manned missions. But it was, uh, if you're not familiar with the uh, event, you click on the link, you'll, you'll get some nice uh, uh, footage and a nice little story from NASA uh, via YouTube. And uh, if you weren't around for it, it's worth looking up because that was when the United States of America truly outpaced the world in space exploration, uh, like at no time since. Yeah, that's uh, that one. Apollo eight especially means a lot to me. I was able to to witness the launch. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, of course, that was a big thing. Yeah, and, and I was. Oh, I, yeah. I was young enough that uh, it made a big impression. Of course, and then watching um, their live broadcast. 
or watching their broadcast live, let me put it that way, um, as they um, um, were reading from the Bible and, and uh, uh, going through all of that. Uh, it was, it was quite, uh, quite an event to be doing that on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. 1968 was a heck of a year in in many ways, oh, yeah. all of which kind of came to a head with Apollo 8, and uh, all of which is is very nicely captured uh, by an episode of an old HBO series called From the Earth to the Moon. An awesome oh, series. Yeah. It's yeah. an awesome yeah. series. Yeah. I don't know if it's streamable. Uh, it should not surprise you to learn I have the DVD. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's something that you should probably try to check out if you can. It's um, um, uh, a very well done um, series. Um, uh, Tom Hanks and Thank you. Steven Thank Spielberg you. had a lot right. to do with it. Yep. They, they, Tom Hanks was uh, was an executive producer. Steven Spielberg was an executive producer. Um, some some well known actors were participating in the uh, in the series. It's very well done. Highly recommended. I will shut up now. Yeah. No, you don't need to shut up. That I couldn't agree more. That's a terrific, terrific series. If you're at all interested in that period of American history or world history, human history. Um, that's a great series. I was trying to dig here to find out if it's available streaming or not. I'm not finding it real quickly, but uh, yeah. Uh, what else, David? Any other? Anybody else going to get any other shout outs? We done? Uh, let me do it real quick. Get I'm done. All done. All, all done. Well, that's Dave Higdon. Dave is a uh, Dave is. I'm sorry, I changed pages here. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's the ticket. Uh, an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer Magazine, formerly known as World Aircraft Sales. David, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Yeah. Well, let's see. We've got a uh, piece coming out in Av Buyer in a couple of days about. Uh, avionics options for uh, flight departments, uh, the upgrade options that are available for business turbine aircraft right now. And uh, we'll have something else coming out uh, in another publication uh, a little later in the year about setting your own personal minimums when you're flying single pilot, how to develop a personal minimums checklist, and even more importantly, how to stick with it when it counts. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, avbuyer.com, uh, avionic, uh, aea.net, uh, and a couple other places where they don't run my name, so I won't show up. <laughs> and that other voice is Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Aviation Safety Magazine. Funny how that works. Funny how that works. For the uh, February issue, the March issue, I'm sorry, the uh, January issue should already be on the streets. Just sat down to start uh, crunching through that this week and uh, looking forward to another fine issue. I have a piece on, uh, you got a a choice of instructors, an old one and a young one. Which mm-hmm. is which is safest Ooh. statistically? Oh, really? Okay. Dun 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 dun. All right. Yeah, you got to check it out to know the. Yeah, answer, I have right? to have to have to buy that. Uh, have to buy that to figure it out. Um, doing some other projects and and uh, whatnot for various other outlets. One of which is the uh, uh, is uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association, and uh, you can read that on uh, aea.net. Uh, you might find me in various other places around the internet. Very cool. On a cage. Very cool. Yeah. And and uh, um, 
on Twitter? You're on Twitter? And- I'm on Twitter, Burnside J, and uh, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, what am I working on? I'm uh, I'm finally catching up on back episodes of UCAP. My apologies, my bad, but uh, it's been a, been a fall and. Uh, I'm almost caught up now. By uh, This one was going to come out, and then there'll be one other in the can that will come out a little bit later on, and then hopefully we'll be caught up and we'll stay caught up. Darn it. Um, but I'm working on that. Uh, I'm on the home stretch of finishing Around the Field, uh, the ebook, uh, Volume 3, which covers the years 2005 through 2007, um, my stories uh, from the uh, uh, the EAA fly-in at, at Oshkosh. Uh, continuing to do iPhone programming, um, and, uh, and who knows when we might see something aviation related there but but that's what i'm working on and the big thing is that i i just can't i'm i'm more excited than is like really you know not embarrassing i'm 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 really excited about getting ready for my annual retreat to the uh, hidden river home for wayward wayward aviators which is uh, coming up in a few weeks and uh, um that's you jeb get ready here i come i, I hear you i'm yeah. i'm looking forward i was jeb, my have the Chab, have the authorities been notified? They have, and um, um, he'll be under surveillance the whole time. Yeah, I know, really. Well, you know, it's like it's this year. It's, gonna, it's me, Jeb, and three alligators. So you know, hilarity ensues, right? And uh, yeah, well, are there still um, three alligators? I, I know where I'm sleeping. <laughs> okay, uh, you can follow me at uh, twitter.com/slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can learn more uh, than you really ever wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big, big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, to Jim Goldman, to all the folks who have been have created these awesome uh, UCAP disclaimer clips that we play for you during the episodes. Don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. And also you can see who's doing what on the New Ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you were going to tell us about? Well, the key to long life, like Jeb's, is airtime. Because, as you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Thank you both for listening. And happy 2015.